Good morning, guys. How are we doing? I got to say, I'm really excited, first of all, that I thought worship this morning was awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you, Nancy and the worship team. And Ashley Blackie, it was her first Sunday up here. Is Ashley Blackie in here? Maybe she's, in, she's down in Kidsman. Tell, pat her on the back. But they did awesome. Worship was awesome. Thank you for your response for the every 12th, which is kind of outside the box. I appreciate your guys' response, and I could tell that you guys are excited about that and building partnerships. Um, okay, so we're in the book of Romans. If you brought your Bibles, we're in the book of Romans. If you have a digital copy of your Bible, like on the Bible app, we're in the ESV um, version of the Bible. And so what we're doing is unpacking the whole book of Romans. And it's going to take about a year. So maybe like after Easter sometime, we'll take a break maybe study something else for a short period of time then go back to Romans. But we're going to be in Romans most of the year. There's so much in Romans. And really, up to this point in Romans, it's talked, it talked a lot about the law. And it talked about this conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And Jews thought they had a bit of a leg up on the Gentiles because they had the law. And they were still following the law to an extent and hoping it would make them good. And Today is about a shift, like chapter, um, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, is a shift in the book. And it, and it shifts, and we'll, what we'll cover is 21 through 30. And then after this, it kind of just builds this text out for the next, like, four or five weeks, or the next, for here, three or four chapters, and unpacks what we're learning today. And today is like... The crux of the whole book of Romans, it's like the theme for the whole book of Romans is in here and why Romans is so important. But one thing we talk about is the law. We're going to talk about the law today a lot. Um, we use that word a lot, but the word law means for them the Jewish uh, law of Moses, okay? A good way to think of it is like the Ten Commandments or the ceremonial laws or the uh, ritualistic laws that they would have to do in order to be accepted by God. You know, whether it is just obeying the Ten Commandments but also giving sacrifices of animals and different things like that at different times. And Paul is saying, hey, there's a new way to be good with God that doesn't really have to do with the law. He made a way apart from the law for you to be saved, and that's kind of the premise for the whole book of Romans, okay? So I just want to lay that groundwork. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole passage, and you can read along on the screens or in your Bibles if you have one. And what I'm going to do is read the whole text, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse, okay? Let's start. But now the righteousness of God, we're in verse 21, by the way, if you're following along. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart. Everybody say apart. Apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Everybody say gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because 
In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Everybody say faith. faith. All right, faith is a big word. And it's the crux of the whole book of Romans. And it's important that you drill that into your minds because we're going to unpack that a lot, a lot today is faith. And I'll explain it more later. Faith in Jesus. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? Or I'm sorry, it is excluded. <laughs> Not a question. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or is, it, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, a lot of faith and for everyone and through Jesus. Okay, let's, pr let's pray before we dive into this and learn what it has to say. God, I pray this morning that your will be done in every way. God, I pray that um, you use your uh, holy word, God, that was inspired. Um, use it, God, to um, impact each one of us in different ways. God, we know that we all have different ways of viewing God and help us narrow our way of viewing you through the lens of God's word. And as we sung earlier, God, I pray we don't, we don't identify ourselves by who, who others say we are, but we only identify ourselves by who you say we are. And we find our identity in, in you and in who you say we are and how you say we're made right not what everybody else says, not what our feelings say, but God, you help us make sense to us where we're at today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said? Amen. So the verse 21 through 22, it starts out, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, meaning all the law and the prophets, they actually point to this new way, but it really is separate from the law. The, in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, there is no distinction. So before Jesus, obeying the law was the way to get right with God. If you wanted to get right with God, you had to, in a sense, become part of his chosen people and become a, a Jewish person and and be a part of all their ceremonies and make sure that um, on the Day of Atonement your sins were, you know, covered and, and maybe that you went to temple and made sacrifice for your sins and um, all that good stuff. And it was all, like, works-based. You had to do this to be good with God. And everybody believed that. And Paul is just reiterating in this to the Romans that there's a new way apart from the law. There's this new way apart from the law, and it's different, y'all. Like he's saying, it's different. And it's not based on what you do. It's based on who you put your faith in. And that's really important. And that's, and that's really big for them to realize. And so he, up to this point in Romans, he's saying the law can't save you. 
It has no power to save. It only just reveals your sins. Circumcision, you know, doesn't really matter for salvation um, and all this other stuff. Doing good works can't save you. So here he brings out the main theme of the whole book of Romans. And it's really this. God has made a way separate from the law. And so as you see on the screen, this is the main theme of the book of Romans. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Very simple. You no doubt have heard that before. But it's important how we unpack it today and how we apply it to our own hearts and our own lives as we go out and live. But we are made right with God and put in good standing, not based on our works and our striving and accomplishing something, but it's just based on our faith in Jesus. Could you realize how simple that is? You realize that, right? Like how simple, how easy, how, uh, how, how attainable it is without doing works. Not necessarily easy for some of us. It's, you know, hard to take that step, but it's all one-sided, and we'll talk about that. So Paul is saying here is like there's a new way. Um, the Jews were under the, 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 the thought of the old way of doing it is if you obey these rules, God will be pleased with you, right? And he even said, if you wander away from me, life is going to be bad. I'm going to let, like, a country come in and take you all away. And it's very based on, like, how they acted. They relied on works. How, do we, how does this apply to us today? We are all, like, predisposed since we were little kids to believe this truth in different ways. And, um, and really have a very transactional view of God a very transactional view of viewing God. It's very much, I do this and God does this. And I'll, and I'll explain that. And maybe it's everything we do in life kind of says that, right? If I'm a good employee, guess what? My boss will be pleased with me. If I work really hard and I'm a good employee, upper management will see and give me a raise. And that'll be good, Right? If I study real hard in high school and get a really good GPA, I will get into U of M. If I do not have a good GPA, I'll go to MSU. All right? I'll just... Dan Hoff and Judy aren't here today, so he might have been mad. Zeller's here, though. Sorry, Zeller. Ohio State, all right? If I do this... I will find favor in these people. And that's always, like, as parents, sometimes we get into that way of viewing of, like, instead of, like, raising our kids in a grace-filled good way, it's just behavior modification. Hey, be good at church so I don't look like an idiot. All right? Don't scream, don't run, don't act a fool so I look good. And just modify your behavior so mom and dad look good. And as kids, some of us were trained to just modify our behavior and not really address the heart of the matter, right? And so it's very transactional. Christians live this way, and I'm calling it the transactional gospel. The transactional gospel is, if I'm good, God will accept me. If I'm bad, God will reject me. This right here, if, you could, if you're taking notes, and we have free journals in the back if you want to take notes, and there's pens under the pews in front of you, like, that is wrong. And as Christians, we need to, like, erase that from our mind of, like, 
When I do bad, God rejects me. When I am good, God accepts me. And it involves this, what's called self-righteousness. And not like self-righteousness, like pride, like I'm better than you. It's just meaning like, I kind of had something to do with God loving me. That's so wrong. And just so we don't have, we can't contribute at all to God loving us, that like sin wasn't going to like push God away from you. So I do good, God's happy. If I screw up, I'm in the pits and God's angry at me. So what's the point? I'm not even going to go to church anymore. I'm just done. I'm just done. I I can't do it anymore. And it's very much this like self-righteousness of like works-based righteousness. And the transactional gospel is wrong. Think about this. And I'm not going to really get into it because I don't have time. But those of you who know the story of the prodigal son, that's a story of God's view of us. The son went to his dad, his rich dad, and said, I want my inheritance early. Meaning, I kind of wish you were just dead so I'd get your money. And the dad wrote him a check for half of his income and let him go. And he went away, spent all his money, spent all his thing, and then wild living, you know, drugs, prostitutes, alcohol, whatever, he ended up in the pigsty, right? He ended up eating like pig gruel and saying, at my father's house, the servants eat better than this. I'm just going to go back and repent and maybe my dad will let me be a servant. And Jesus said, look at what the dad did. He didn't say, I told you so, now be a servant for a few years. The dad welcomed him at the end of the driveway with open arms and tears in his eyes saying, thank you for coming back. And let me give you a robe of righteousness and let me give you our family ring back and let's throw a feast because I'm so happy you're here, right? That's how God views us. And it's important because the prodigal son didn't bring anything to the table. There is no transactionality to that. There is just, I'm broken and destitute and totally bankrupt. And dad, can you take me back? And the dad's like, sure. Give you money, give you status, give you everything that you wanted. Just, I'm glad you're back with the father, right? That's the story of like redemption is like, just come back to the father. Quit living out that way. Don't get, don't think that you caused that. It's just the father's love for us that makes him want to accept us. And he goes to the end of the driveway and waits for us. Have you ever done that? Like gone to the end of the driveway and waited for visitors? I used to when I was a kid, when I knew grandma was coming over, I just wait, look down the dirt road that we lived on. And that's what he said the father does for us. He's just waiting at the end of the driveway for us. And we get, like, it's, it's silly to think that we bring anything to the table for that. It's available for all people, for all who believe. There is no distinction. It's available for all. Why? It says in the next verse, because all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. And it, it, this is a, a good verse to remember and memorize. Is verse 23 and 24. It says there's no distinction. Why? For all have sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. Before Jesus Christ, we are all wretches. And like there's no distinction. Like, you know, uh, you're not a better wretch than me. All right? We're all wretches. All right? Uh, You're not a worse wretch than me, if I can say worse and get away with it just for the sake of the sermon. And we are all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Um, This little passage right here, we're going to sit in for a little bit today. But we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is important. 
So nobody is sinless except for Jesus Christ. He was half God, half man. So nobody is this good person, right? Like I've not, like I, I've, I was a really good person. I needed Jesus just a little bit. I just, but Tammy needed Jesus a lot. Like I kind of joked about some of these kids need Jesus. They all need Jesus. They all need Jesus a lot. You don't need Jesus a lot and he needs him a little. That's what produces a self-righteousness. Because Jesus, I just need a little bit of your gospel power to save me because I came a long way, right? <laughs> like it's ridiculous that the gospel, that we could contribute anything to the table. Like we're just, in a sense, before Jesus, miserable failures. And the closer that we get to just being broken before God and laid open and saying, God, I contribute nothing. I'm morally, spiritually, and maybe even financially bankrupt, and I have nothing to offer. Please save me. Those are the people that get saved, that say, I'm not bringing anything to the table. I'm just laying myself out there. And like, it's important to realize that we've all sinned. Okay, I'm gonna get back. That was kind of a side point. So the reason the law can't save us is the law demands perfection. Like the law demands perfection. So like, if you want to rely on the law to save you, you have to obey it your entire life without sinning once. Because you can't go to heaven and be like, God, I kept most of your law. <laughs> You're like, God doesn't accept that. I kept most of it. I only sinned a few times. And it's like, no, we've all sinned. Um, we've all broken the perfection at some point. Um, and we all need Jesus, so let that soak in. Some of us don't need that reminder. Some of us here have done sins that are gross, grotesque, evil, like in our minds more evil than other sins. And God said we've all sinned. There's different consequences, and our life might acquire more baggage because of the sin we've done, or more consequences, but we're all in the same boat. And so... If you feel horrible about your past, I'm like this. Cheer up. You and the Pope are kind of on the same playing field. Before Jesus, right? Before Jesus, you and the Pope, I'm just using the Pope because everything's he's super holy, but you and, you know, pastor are on the same playing field. Like, well, I've done this horrible sin. And God's like, he told a white lie when he was 17 years old. And that was enough to condemn him to an eternity in hell. But my sin was so much worse. Doesn't matter. He sinned in this way. And it's like, you know what I mean? There's no playing field. Like we've all fallen short. It's not like a first, second, third place. It's like we've all fallen off the track and we're all miserably lost. And that's how we have to view it. Like, it's not like we bring anything to the table and there's no room, as it says here, to boast. Um, and the scandalous thing about the gospel, and I think I'm stealing this quote from somewhere, the scandalous thing about the gospel is not who it keeps out of heaven, but who it lets in heaven. You ever hear somebody say that? Like, how can they get to heaven? Like, how can they get grace? That's the scandalous part. If they put their faith in Jesus Christ, anybody could be saved because we've all sinned. doesn't matter the degree of sin. None of us measure up. So we are justified by the grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. That's kind of what that verse said. Justified as grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. Okay, I want to explain these two words a little bit. 
If you're not familiar, like these words and the- theology are very important. The first one is justified. Justified is a legal declaration. Like we are justified. Like if you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified. And so that means not guilty. You know, acquitted is another word. Like you're just declared not guilty once and for all. Because of Jesus, you are now um, not guilty. You are perfect. I think I have a slide for justification, I believe. Unless, I think it might be like next one, a couple over. But basically what I just said, for justification, that big word on top. But in that, it means not guilty. And it's a legal statement. And in the legal system, you can't be tried twice for the same crime, right? Does anybody feel like they go to Jesus with the same sin over and over again because they just need re-forgiven for it? <laughs> like, God, I know I asked forgiveness. Oh, there it is. Awesome. There it is, Jesus. I'm probably going to ask forgiveness for this for five days in a row because I don't feel good about it, but like we're forgiven. But what justified means is a one-time legal standing that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at you and says, now because of Jesus' act, this person is totally sinless and guiltless before the throne. Totally. It's important to realize that. Once in a, for the rest of your life, you're positionally justified before God. Amen? So you're no longer guilty. You're no longer guilty. Some of us have been told our whole lives that you are good for nothing loser. Maybe by people, maybe by Satan, but you've been told your whole lives that you are worthless, that you are a scoundrel, that you are no good. And even when we come to Jesus, we still feel like a lowly, no good scoundrel who God somehow accepted, which is true, but he also made us righteousness. He made us righteous. Why that's so theologically important and deep is because when we go to heaven, God won't have our sins tucked away where he can pull out and read them to us. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, as your sins will be from me. I will remember their sins no more. And so we're justified. Like, it's okay. Like, we're free in Christ. And, and this is important I want you to realize. Being justified or being a child of God is not a title that God is asking you to live up to. So you spend your whole life trying to live a certain way to like make sure you're living up to what God has called you to. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? He declares you perfect, but if you try to live up to that title, you're just going to be like, feel like a miserable failure all the time. He's declared you perfect. He's declared you righteous. It's not a title that you have to live up to. It's a title that you accept and live in and realize who you are. Because once you become saved, there's a process called sanctification where you just become more like Jesus every day. You know what? Paul talks a lot about this. Like we still have this sinful flesh, right? Like, well, if I'm holy, why do I keep doing bad things? Okay, we're still on earth for like 100 more years. Some of us, maybe only 50 more years or 60. I don't know how long you're going to live. But until our bodies are redeemed, we're still going to have this sinful flesh that we wrestle with. And out of love for Jesus, we come to him and we mess up. We ask for forgiveness. We repent, constantly have this. But each day through sanctification, we look more like Jesus. Amen? So some of us here are trying to live up to that title of justified. By living up to it, what means is you're trying to figure out a way to like earn it. And it's not earnable. The second word is redemption. 
That means to be bought back. If you are redeemed, you are adopted into the family of God. And so that's very important. Salvation, at the moment of salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus, you not only are justified, where they say, you know, Joel is justified. Satan, he's not guilty. You know, he's perfect in my eyes because of the blood of Jesus covering his sins. But not only justified, but you're adopted and, and you're called a child of God through redemption. So, and that's why it's very important in Romans 8, a few chapters later, we'll get to later on, maybe in July, it says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Okay. And if children, then we are what? Heirs. Anybody here like an heir, like to a large sum of money, like billions of dollars? If you are, let me know, and I want you to become a partner. Uh, just kidding. Um, but we become heirs, which means that we will receive the inheritance of Jesus because we are now like fellow heirs with Jesus and we're children of God, which is an amazing, amazing quality to have. And it says this, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so, like, there's this aspect of we're not just forgiven. And I think this is important, and I might say this later because it's in my notes somewhere, but I think sometimes we hear, like, God has forgiven my sins. And that becomes a little bit monotonous in our language. Yeah, God's forgiven my sins. And I'm this, you know. And there's so much more to salvation that we don't, maybe don't know or don't realize or don't live out of that we are actually children. Like, the God of the universe the holy God of the universe not only forgives us of our sin, let, doesn't just let us be a servant, but he calls us in as his children to be able to approach the throne with our prayer request. Go into his throne room and go up to the throne and just talk to him like he's our dad. Like that's the important part to realize of salvation. Redemption is a big part. And again, it's not a title that you have to live up to. And it's same with my kids. My kids don't have a title that they're supposed to live up to. They screw up. They're still my children. You know, I want you to do right, but you're never going to stop being my children. You're going to stop being my kid. A good friend and I were talking this week, and we talked about this. I tried to write out the story a little bit. But he lived the whole first half of his Christian life in what was called, like, self-righteousness. He was always trying to be, like, a good person for God and not necessarily, like, live out his faith in, like, holy worship, which I think we're supposed to do and just knowing that it's all God, it's not us. And what that left him is, is left him feeling like crap all of the time and never feeling like he measured up to God. Never feeling like he measured up. And that he had to do good again. Like, okay, let me join this missional community so God's happy with me. Let me do this so God's happy with me. Let me, you know, let me go to church so God will be happy with me. And it's like, God, Jesus already won your happiness with God if you put your faith in him. Amen? The stuff you do is you do out of worship because you are a child, but it's not going to make you more of a child. Amen? Okay, that's important to realize. Um, he was trying to live up to this title that, that was given him, and he had to realize you can't live it. Just accept it, enjoy it, and worship God out of it. Okay, we're going to go to this next verse. It says this in verse 25. Jesus, um, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, 
to re- be received by what, everybody? Okay, good. Back row, y'all need to step up your game. Just kidding. I'm just messing. Back section, just kidding. Um, be received by what? All right. Be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine patience or forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does it mean to be passed over the former sin? That's an important part of this verse. Prior to Jesus' death on the cross, he passed over those sins that were waiting for Jesus, meaning that God provided a different way to be sacrificed. And so just as Jesus' death on the cross paid all future sins, it also went back to the people who lived by faith before Jesus. You know what I mean? The Elijahs, the Daniels, the Old Testament heroes, people in the Old Testament. Like, the death of Jesus paid for their sin, but when they did it, they were waiting for that time. And so their sins were passed over because of his righteousness. So Jesus was put forward from a propitiation. Again, this is a really theologically deep text, but I believe in y'all to, to absorb it. Propitiation. Um, so his blood or his death covered our sins, making us acceptable. So there needed to be a propitiation or a sacrifice for our sins, meaning this. Because we're sinners, like there has to be blood all the way back from the Garden of Eden, there has to be death for our sins. And so the whole point of the Bible is because you sinned, you have to die because the penalty of sin is death. But Jesus became our propitiation and he became that death sacrifice, right? He died for us, became that death sacrifice. So what we have to do now is put our what in Jesus? Faith. All right, put our faith in Jesus. And that is what saves us, okay? So that's what propitiation means. It means he took our place. And in doing so, he justifies us. Here again, reiterated, the salvation is through faith in Jesus, not works, so no one can boast. So we have become accustomed to this. Real quick, I'll go into this. Those of us who do evangelism or go out and share the gospel or you share gospel with your coworkers, we have this thing that we want people to say the sinner's prayer. Anybody here, like, ever heard the term sinner's prayer? Raise your hand. Like the sinner's prayer, sinner's prayer, everybody knows the sinner's prayer. What's the sinner's prayer? Like, God, forgive me for all my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I want to be saved. I love you. I'll go to church now, and I'll, you know, stop cussing. Amen. That's the sinner's prayer. Hey, say the sinner's prayer, and you're saved. And I think what we tell people is, it's sort of like a magic abracadabra moment in our salvation. Hey, if you utter these words, you'll be saved. If that's the case, I'll put it on a billboard in Muskegon and say, say these words out loud so you're saved. You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. The words of the sinner's prayer don't really matter. And I say all that because, um, you know, Jesus, forgive me for all my sins. So you're sharing the gospel and you say, just ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sins. Now listen, follow along. If that's all you do, that's incomplete. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Okay, good, I'm good. My sins are forgiven. Then you go out and live your life. Like there's more, there's more meat to it than that. Let, let me say it this way. Someone could ask Jesus to forgive them of all their sins and not put their faith in Jesus. Is that possible, you think? 
like in just reality from what you've seen? Is it possible to somebody to ask Jesus into their heart, ask Jesus to forgive them all their sins, but never put their faith in Jesus? Right? That's very possible. Someone could ask Jesus into their heart and ask Jesus to forgive them of all their sins and still not put their faith in Jesus and still not be saved. That's like the heavy, like, what? Okay, so what is faith? Like, what is faith? Like, how do I put my faith in Jesus? Like, Jim, I'm probably one of those people, I don't want to admit it, and like, maybe you're saying this, like, I'm one of those people who just said, God, forgive me my sins, but I don't really, like, feel like I've ever put my faith in Jesus. Okay, I'm going to share a quick story that my pastor shared with me a long time ago. It's a true story, I believe. Charles Blondin was this guy. I'm just going to call him Chuck. Chuck was famous in the summer of 1859. Anybody alive at that time? Ron? (laughs) Sorry, I'm just picking on Ron because I love him so much. He paid for my dinner at Bob Evans a couple weeks ago, and I'm indebted to him. Yes. Ellen did too. Ellen and Ron, but it's probably Ellen who paid. Ron probably is like, don't pay for that fool. (laughs) But anyway, sorry, going back. Um, 1859, he was this guy who was this tightrope walker, and he walked across the Niagara Falls, like between USA or New York and Canada. He walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He did it in a potato sack. He did it on stilts. He did it on a bicycle, and everybody's cheering. He gathered big crowds, big crowds. And for one of his events one night, he went across on stilts. He came back blindfolded in a wheelbarrow. And like just pushing, not in a wheelbarrow, pushing the wheelbarrow. It'd be funny if you push yourself in a wheelbarrow. And so he gets to the other side, and the crowd is just going nuts. And he said, like, who believes that I could push somebody across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope in a wheelbarrow. And everybody started cheering, yes, yes, yes. And so he said, you believe that I can do this, right? Yes, 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 we believe you can do it. And he said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Let me push you across. (laughs) Nobody volunteered for that, (laughs) right? Nobody volunteered for that. Why? Is because they believed, but they never put their faith in him. Like putting your faith in Jesus is like if you go to Chuck and, and he's up there cheering and you say, I have faith that you can carry me across that weird barrel and I'm going to get in it and I'm going to show you that I have faith. You know what I mean? So what the crowd did is they said they believed, but they didn't really believe that he could carry him across. And I feel like the problem is in, in church today in America, We have churches full of people that say, we believe, we believe, we believe. And then we go to them and say, hey, you got to break up with that loser boyfriend who doesn't love Jesus. And they're like, I don't believe that much. You know, I don't believe that much. You know, we believe, we believe, we believe. Okay, you know, we like come and do this. I'm not ready to do that. You know what I mean? Like they say and chant and shout that they believe, but they never really like put their faith in Jesus. They never really walked the hard walk of following Jesus. They never sacrificed anything for Jesus. They're just in church shouting, we believe every Sunday, but their life doesn't show anything that they're a believer in Jesus. He's saying, man, there's going to be hard decisions. There's going to be like the sacrifice. You're going to be ridiculed in your workplace. 
You're going to be put through some hell here and there. You're going to have to do things that you, like stop doing things that you like to do because now you're a child of God and you can't do that. And if you say, I'm not willing to give that up, then you're just the one shouting, I believe, but never really putting your faith in Jesus, right? Putting your faith is saying, I'm going to get in Jesus's wheelbarrow and let him push me across. Like total, absolute surrender to God. Not holding anything back, but just really just giving it all to God. That's really what faith is. Might be hard to grasp, but I think we all get the picture. So I'm going to read this last portion. I'm going to say one more thing and then we'll be done. But this last portion says this in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting, talking about the Jewish folks? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified from faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? He is not the God of, the, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also, so God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law? By no means we uphold it. So Paul circles back to the beginning of what he talked about. And he said, where is your boasting? Right? Like, how can you brag? How could anybody brag about being a better Christian than anybody else? Because if you think that you're a better Christian than anybody else, then you are saying that you added something to the gospel that you weren't supposed to add. If you feel like you're a worse Christian than somebody else, then you're saying somebody else added to the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, we are all in the same boat, and really we're all just made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, think of yourself prior to Jesus, spiritually bankrupt in every way, not bringing anything to the table. And we receive it through faith. So maybe you are here today, and everything in your life has been transactional. And that's a very tough way to live. You know what? Marriage is never meant to be transactional, right? Like, you know what? I'll love my wife if she does this for me. Or I will be a great wife if my husband is a good husband. You know what I mean? Like, we are called to love unconditionally regardless of our spouse. And it's the same way, like maybe you've lived everything like transactional in every way. Maybe relationships, maybe your relationship with God is attra- uh, transactional where you're trying to live up to a holy life instead of living a holy life. Um, I do this and God does this. And today it's time to realize that the God, gospel of Jesus Christ isn't transactional. And it really isn't fair. It's not fair. What I mean by that is God loved you before you even knew him, right? You were a sinner, and God made you holy, all right? You were guilty, and Jesus did all the legwork on the cross to make you not guilty. And so it's very one-sided, and there's no room in the story of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him to get a big head and to think that we did anything. It's just receive it from faith and live for him, just faith. And so I say all that because I just think at Christians, we get down on ourselves way too much. And because we get down on ourselves, we are believing that a slice of our, our identity in Christ has gone away. I sinned. Jesus isn't happy with me. Like the sacrifice that was done on the cross was done once for all. Amen? 
And it was done once, like for eternity, like for the rest of your life. It's not something that you have to keep going back to. Our identity is we're saved without doing anything. It's just by putting our faith in Jesus. And so if you are here today and you feel like your relationship with God has been very works-based or very transactional, I want to give you an opportunity, like I did a couple weeks ago, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like, like the way that we're supposed to, okay? And not the way that we just pray a prayer and pin it on the wall for the week, but it's a way to just give your life to Jesus. And today could be a starting point to like start living the rest of your life for Jesus. So let's pray. And right now, as we're all kind of bowing our heads in a posture of prayer, um, I just want to, like, address the folks here who just feel uneasy about their salvation. So all of us that maybe if you feel great about your salvation, you feel like you're in a good spot, that's awesome. But if you f are here today and your head's bowed and you feel very uneasy about your faith, you feel like maybe you've cheered on, you believe, but you've never really dove in headfirst into the life of being a Jesus follower, it's like today is the day to accept him, ask forgiveness of your sins, mean it in your heart, and put your faith in Jesus. And then the real work is what happens after today. Not the real work. I mean, what Jesus did for you on the cross is the real work. So let's pray. Father, um, I want to pray for the folks that are here, and they just feel so uneasy about their salvation. They feel so um, uh, uneasy if they're saved or not saved, and they're just really struggling. God, help them know that they are justified. Help them know that they are redeemed. And all they have to do is put their faith in you, put their trust in you, and commit to following you all the days of their life. And Lord, in that moment, they are saved, and help them realize they're saved. And not like they're slowly being saved, but they're saved right in that moment. And God, uh, if they pray that prayer, I pray that they come to talk to a staff member or somebody in the church and let them know. And then we could get baptized and we could start discipleship and start walking alongside of them. God, help us realize that our salvation is really one-sided. It's all you and we don't really contribute anything but ourselves and just our faith in you. So God, uh, we love you. We worship you. Help us live from this place of redemption and justification. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,